Christ the Lord. Good, good song, and I appreciate Jeanette singing that this morning. I said a moment ago, we're so thankful to have Danny and Jordan with us today. Uh, we are grateful for uh, their ministry and uh, got to spend, about this time last year, I got to spend time with them over in Spain uh, and see the work that God's doing over there. And we've been looking forward to them coming for a few weeks. And so, Danny, we're not going to take any more of your time. Would you come and, church, let's welcome them to Faith Baptist Church this morning. Can we do that? Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It is great to be here. It's great to be back. Um, I was actually going to ask myself how many people here remember me from 2011, and uh, it is great to see many familiar faces and then a number of new faces. Um, I, I think you've met my wife, Jordan, who I am so thankful for and is a wonderful ministry partner and uh, wife in Spain. And then, like, like we said before, Gabriel's here and Clara's in the back room, so I'm excited about you meeting them. And um, those of you who knew me in 2011, I'm sure you'll re realize that she's, uh, <laughs> she's uh, been a huge help to me. Um, I think we have some pictures. Let's see if uh, this is connected. Okay. Um, a couple pictures to remind you all of my time here. I was actually looking back. It had been a long time since I had uh, seen pictures, and I figured I'd pull out a few pictures of my time back in 2011. Um, actually, there was one before. Yeah, there we go. Um, I, I thoroughly appreciated my time with Pastor Cross. He was a, a, a tremendous blessing to me personally, um, a mentor, and I would say um, of very few people, he was a huge influence in my life, and I've thought about him frequently. Uh, he was a wonderful man of God, and it was just a privilege to, to know him and to serve with him that summer, but then from other times as well. And, um, and I've just been very thankful for his influence in my life as well as so many others. So I thoroughly appreciate that. One of my most memorable jobs was cleaning out the baptistry. I think they were trying to kill me with the chemicals that I was using. I remember it being uh, pretty potent, but I was an intern, so I was uh, doing what needed to be done. Um, I see Jake up there front and center of, uh, among the guys. One of my uh, um, times, a number of my times was there with the, with the different young people. So you might recognize some faces there. Um, and then I believe this was, uh, I was talking to Pastor Campbell, I think this is the 27th anniversary that Pastor and Mrs. Cross were here, uh, and we celebrated that during that summer that I was there. But again, it was such a special time. Um, I appreciated your, um, your friendship and, and involvement in those, those 12 years ago, I guess. But my wife and I are serving the Lord in the Basque region of Spain. Many of you are very familiar, and I was actually thinking as I collected a few pictures, I have an advantage sharing the the ministry here, because many of you are familiar with uh, that specific area of Spain. We actually serve with my parents. Uh, we're in the same uh, church, involved in the same church ministry and the farmhouse ministries. So those of you who are here, how many of you here were here a few weeks ago with dad? Um, saw his pictures and all that. So y'all are very familiar. Um, I wanted to focus on a few of the ministry aspects um, that are a little bit different or where we're focusing on as opposed to my parents. But just a few pictures from our area. This is the town where I grew up and there uh, near where we serve. That's the Iscorri Mountain. Then here is a few pictures of just the area. It's very mountainous, very green because we get a lot of rain. <clears throat> that house back there, I don't know if you can see the person in blue with a blue shirt on that balcony up there. That's where we live in a small town in the, in the mountains of the Bass region. Our house is 350 years old. It was built in the 1650s. And our town itself was founded in 1288, 
although they have history of being there way before then, but that's when the town was officially founded. So it's very interesting. There's a lot of history there. Uh, there's a lot of really neat things to see. Our house has about three feet thick walls of sandstone on the outside, and then the inside, the structure is actually made out of wood, and it's about two to three feet thick oak, beam, uh, oak posts with then beams going across, and it's just, just fascinating to see how they built back then, and it lasted it's older than America as a nation, so it's pretty, pretty crazy, some of the, the ages. And this particular act, uh, event was during a, a parade that the children in town were walking through uh, our street. And uh, it's just very, very interesting, a very pretty place to live. Y'all are welcome to come visit sometime if y'all are interested. We just actually, uh, y'all might take us up on that. We just had the peaches here a few weeks ago. They were here right when we left Spain in November, I guess. They were there with us, so they, uh, I think I actually have a picture of him here somewhere. There we go. There's uh, David Peach. That was actually their previous visit. We still had COVID separation, and you see the plexiglass and all this kind of stuff uh, from church. We had to adapt a lot of things during the very strict uh, COVID measures, but fortunately, that's all behind us now. Um, there's the Ayerdi farmhouse that I'll share a few more pictures of. But again, y'all are very familiar with the ministry uh, at the farmhouse. Uh, and so much of that, uh, much of that we'll, we'll just see briefly a little bit ago. This is a town up on the coast as well. Um, and like I said, I'd like to focus on um, one of the aspects which Jordan and I really feel like is the, the primary focus of our ministry. We're very involved in church. I'm very involved at the farmhouse. Jordan's very involved at the cooking for our big activities at the farmhouse. But the ministries that we, are, that we feel the most burden for is really our contacts with the Basque people in our area. Um, the Lord has led us to focus on trying to reach the Basque people for the Lord. Our church, I think I have a picture here. Well, I have a picture in just a little bit of our church. Our church has grown. It is doing well. There's a lot of people uh, coming to church, but the grand majority of them, I would say 90% or more of our church is people either from other parts of Spain or from other parts of the world. We've had a lot of immigrants from all over the world, which is a wonderful illustration of the body of Christ and how he calls people from every corner of the, of the planet. And we're thrilled to be serving there, but Jordan and I really have a burden to try to reach the local Basque people for the Lord. And one of the things that makes it very difficult for them is the, the culture itself is such a social uh, culture. There's such a tight-knit community. It is very difficult for them to break away from their circle of influence and even just step in the doors of our church is a huge, a huge step for them and it's a huge change. We've actually had some um, especially my, my mother and some of her contacts in town, she's had a number of people saved, but they will still not come to church. It is just the hardest thing for them to break away their, their, the, from their ties and their peer pressure and actually come to church. So Jordan and I are doing our best to, um, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with them, to live among them, and, um, and pray that the Lord is going to reach them for Christ. One of our biggest... Um, one of our biggest helps as far as getting involved in our bat with our Basque friends and the community there has been sending our little kids to school. And you may be thinking, wow, they're, they're pretty young to be going to school, right? We thought the exact same thing. But in our town, starting from two years old, they send the kids to, the, to a little uh, school right in our town. Basically, it would be the, uh, up through the grade school. And then up in junior high age, they would normally go to another town, although we're planning on, on homeschooling after that. But we started, this was the first day of school this year, where Gabe and Claire are walking up to uh, their little class. Um, this was, I think this was Gabe last year, actually, in his little class, and we call it school, but a lot of times they're just playing, learning activities, learning to make friends. Um, it is all in Basque, so they're learning Basque. Clara actually understands quite a bit and speaks as well to her friends, 
Um, it's actually interesting, several of the little girls in our church, even though their parents are from other countries, the kids are go to school there, so the kids learn Basque. So Clara talks to the little girls in Basque in our church, even though the parents don't know Basque, and our church is actually spoken in Spanish. So here is, uh, they have an outside little park area. Um, Gabe has always been a huge fan of these uh, motorcycles, these balance bike, mo bike motorcycles. There's Clara with some of her uh, little friends from school. Here's another picture of them walking up towards school. Um, and here's a picture of Clara playing with some of her friends at the park. Um, and I'll leave this picture up for a minute to, to illustrate one of our main times of, of influence and interaction with people is right here sitting with this view as our kids are playing at the park and the parents are, you know, somewhere in the general area, um, many times talking and getting together and talking in groups. And this is the fellowship we have as we watch our kids play at the park or at the plaza in town is really what provides us so many uh, opportunities to converse and opportunities to, to talk with the friends. I wish I could say that we're constantly out there preaching and sharing the gospel with them. We definitely do as much as we can, but many of them have absolutely zero interest in the Lord. They do not want to talk about you know, church. They know we go to church, and they just leave it at that. So our goal is to be there, be a testimony to them. Anytime we have the opportunity to plant a seed or to talk, and it's, it's really exciting to see. Sometimes we'll go, you know, I'll, go to, I'll have 10 separate conversations with a person you know, over the months, never the slightest interest, and then all of a sudden, they'll bring up a question, or they'll bring up something, and it's like the Lord just makes us wait, but then he gives us the right opportunity, and by God's grace, even this past year, we've had um, better opportunities than ever to share the gospel and share parts, parts of the gospel. Again, not, not exactly like we'd love to just go through the Bible and show them, but little by little, um, doing our best to share God's word and share the light um, with them, and Thank you for praying that God will do a great work among the, among the Basque people. I have a lot of pictures, and I have a tendency to slow down and, and get talking. Here is a, here's in our town gym. The kids were doing a, a school um, show of some sort. I believe Claire is in that one there with her school friends. There are so many. It's very interesting, the dynamics compared to even just the, the, the towns and cities here in the States. It's such a cultural uh, area. There's so many activities throughout the year in our town. Our, our house is right next to this square right here. We live two minutes from, from the plaza there, actually one probably. Um, and there's always activities and concerts and uh, different things going on. So it's really neat, the, the social aspect and the culture aspects um, of that. Here's our kids running away. I don't know if you can see, there's a, there's a young person in the back with a big paper mache helmet on, chasing kids with a, with a, I don't know if it's like a pork rind, a blown up pork rind. It's just traditions they have that are a little bit crazy, but they do it. So our kids are running away from the monsters that are chasing them. And they have all kinds of different, like I say, interesting cultural things throughout the year. Um, here's another a competition. It was like a weightlifting and um, Basque sports competition that they did here in our town. Um, here's another activity in the town where I grew up. And just so many relationships that we're gradually building. This was with one of the families that we have known for the longest in our eight years there in Spain. I've witnessed many hours with this, with this individual and um, talked a lot about the gospel with her of all people. She's been open to conversing about that. She has a lot of different ideas, but, but we have a great relationship. And we're, we're really praying that in the coming, ideally in the coming months even, the Lord will save the first couple from our town and we feel like once the Lord starts to move and grow, they will do such a better job of reaching their, you know, their peers and their friends and family than we ever can, being 
even though we're um, living among them, you know, being outsiders in a sense. So please pray for that. Uh, here's another uh, just group of the people there in the area, someone I've witnessed to so many times, has zero interest in the gospel, but the Lord can change that, and the Lord is, uh, uh, we know it's not, it's not our responsibility to convince anyone. If it were, we might as well just, you know, come back here to the States, but the Lord's Holy Spirit will uh, bring conviction in his time, and we're just there to, to be, you know, to share the message, to, to share the gospel when, when we have the chance for it. Um, this is actually Jordan's um, bass class. Uh, she's been taking, when we first went to Spain, she grew up in Panama City, Florida. She didn't know Spanish, so she went there and started learning Spanish for the first few years. She'd go to language school and all this, and she would tell me, I don't even know why I'm learning Spanish. Everyone around here is speaking Basque, and you know, what's the point of learning Spanish? Everyone speaks Spanish as well, so it's not like you know, it's a necessary language to communicate in technically Spain, but, um, but they are very much, they very much love their mother, their mother tongue. They're, that's their heart language. That's what they speak among themselves. And it's, it's as if, you know, if you and I learn Spanish as a second language, it's never going to be the same. And, you know, you prefer talking in English in our case. So that's why we felt it's been such a uh, important thing for us to learn the Basque language. I spent several years, I had grown up in Spain, so I knew some of the basics, but I spent several, several years in language school as well. And then Jordan spent, has been in classes several years. She's uh, learning a lot more. She's understanding much more, opening up as well. But it is very, it's a very challenging language. If you don't know about the Basque language, here's a, um, here's a part of the board on there. You most likely can't, if you can read it, you most likely can't understand what it's saying there, but it is a completely separate language from Spanish. It actually has no connection to any other language in Europe or anywhere else in the world. Uh, historians call it Europe's oldest language, and it is very different. And I give this illustration, I've actually used this uh, elsewhere, <clears throat> but it is a, com it's, it's not simply, and learning a language in general isn't just learning the same words in another language you say things completely different. In this illustration, um, the phrase, you liked apples, in the past tense, the uh, second person plural, you all liked apples. In Basque, you say, sue sagarrak gustatzen sitzaiski sue. And that last word there with four Zs, I believe, yeah, see that last word in black there, sitzaiski suen, that doesn't even translate to, like that's not a word, that's simply an auxiliary to the verb that's telling that it's in the past tense, that there's a, a plural object, and that the, uh, the, the, uh, that it's a second per it's a second person. So you have to learn the verb, which is um, in that case the gustatzen, but then you have to know, depending on who you're saying it to, or what the tense is, and what the whether the object's singular or plural, you totally change that auxiliary, which again doesn't even translate into English. So it's a very interesting language, it's a very unique language. Um, that was a little bit of Basque. And if you know Spanish, that's not, there aren't even any words that are similar other than, um, other than like modern, modern inventions, you know, phones and that kind of stuff, you know, they use the same word almost, but the whole grammar structure and all that is completely different. Uh, it takes, it's taken a lot of time investment. That's like, you know, sometimes it feels like wasted time, but then again, the Lord is really using that to open up doors and uh, opportunities to talk and share the gospel 
in their own language. So please pray for us. Pray, pray for Jordan as she studies this very uh, unique and complicated language. Um, like I say, I have a lot of pictures and I need to keep moving. But um, I'm just going to go through a few of the pictures at church. And like I say, y'all are very familiar with our church ministry. My dad was just here showing uh, the other aspects of the church ministry, I'm sure. So I'll just show a few pictures and go through briefly. I'll, I'm also going to give a little bit of time for questions. Here's uh, our family with one of our church couples who we spend time with, and uh, they're great potential leaders for, uh, eventually he started to share some, some messages and preaching and that kind of stuff. Um, I think I was supposed to move this before, actually. There we go. Um, here's a different one of our church young people. We've recently been um, organizing some of the children's classes. We have more and more little kids now, and Jordan's been involved in the teaching and also training some of the other people to get to help with the classes and organize some of the children's class. I've been teaching the young people. I don't have a picture of, of my class, but uh, here are some of the little kids playing. Uh, we have a lot of activities uh, combined with food and fellowship. We have uh, uh, Friday night suppers after our prayer meeting and Sunday morning breakfast before church for those who uh, need a little extra encouragement to make it in time for Sunday school. We have breakfast beforehand that closes before Sunday school, so people come and have breakfast with us and then enjoy the morning services. Um, we have a Saturday also with some breakfast uh, Bible study and uh, just a lot of fellowship, a lot of teaching and training uh, our church, church believers. I'm going to share a little bit about the farmhouse work, but again, y'all are familiar with the farmhouse ministry, and I'd like to move as quickly as I can and, and get through some of this. A um, lot of upgrades. There's always work to do at the farmhouse. Pastor Campbell has seen some of the activities, and, and Brother Peach as well, some of the things we have going. Um, recently working on a roof on a, a building up above the farmhouse, um, drywalling on the inside. Um, Brother Childers is welcome to come, or any other of you who would like to uh, see how they do things in Spain. Some of the things are very different in how they work and build and such, but uh, a lot of the basics are, can be similar. Um, many of y'all have seen the whole landslide that we had about two years ago. A landslide just you know, completely washed down the, the road. It was caused by the, the logging roads from the, really the, the town hall, the city land. Uh, they didn't do some of the roads properly, and they just, it just caved in and, and caused a huge mess through our land. Um, they brought some heavy equipment. There's Gabe instructing the operator on how to drive the traco. <laughs> I see him looking there. Gabe loves excavators. But anyway, they came and fixed up a lot of the land um, afterwards. Um, you can see the huge culverts they put in to try to direct the water correctly. Um, Gabe, again, is inspecting it with his dump truck. Um, that gate, ironically, used to close. You can see that the green, you can see that wooden uh, fix there to, to keep the gate closed. The gate used to close with a little latch, and it separated almost two feet from the original post. The entire land moved downhill and settled, but the, the original post stayed still, and it was just the land past that. So fortunately, in this case, I had a master carpenter from Tennessee come and help me. Um, see him smiling there in the back. Pastor Campbell and I did a... Uh, <coughs> Did a very professional fix there. Do you see those uh, two by fours we put across there and extended the, we extended the gate as a temporary measure that wasn't a, uh, a long-term fix. But anyway, um, like I said, lots of projects. Oh, we had to rent a track hoe, but we, uh, many of you are familiar with and aware, we, we had a fundraiser going and we were able to purchase a, a piece of equipment to help us maintain the farmhouse paths and roads and these waterways. So we were looking, uh, my friend and I traveled all throughout Spain looking for a piece of machinery, and we found a, a great deal on a, a Kubota from 2014. It's been a huge uh, help and blessing, and we're already using it for all kinds of projects at the farmhouse. 
Um, one of my ministries since going back to Spain and returning as a missionary, because like I say, I grew up in that area, has been to upgrade a lot of the farmhouse electrical system and water system. The farmhouse, as you may know, is completely separate from the power grid, um, from the water lines, all this kind of stuff. So we have to produce all of our own power, collect all of our own water, pump it up to the right heights and all that. So I've been quite involved in learning and um, <laughs> learning and upgrading things at the farmhouse so that I can more or less control things from my cell phone. The generator we've done away with, that big generator, we have a little small backup generator with batteries and solar panels. And I have some water level indicators in the various tanks that allow us to control things. Uh, uh, Mr. Peach and I have a lot of hobbies in common, but we have th I have a 3D printer where I'll print a lot of uh, various gears and brackets and stuff. There's a water level indicator on the tank up above the farmhouse. Um, and I made recently a little display board to indicate how much water we have in the various tanks. You may laugh, but in the summer, we have very little water coming into the spring, and we collect and hoard all the water, and all week of a workers' retreat, this last workers' retreat, we had about 70 people there. Um, we were watching those water levels with uh, hawk eyes because if we waste too much water by Thursday, we have two days with pretty much no shout, you know, having to figure out how to, how to manage things. And the previous year, someone had left the toilet flushed and hadn't realized it and drained the, one of our entire water tanks and uh, pretty much left us almost out of water. So, so that's the reason for some of my uh, water level indicators and paranoia about keeping the water at the right level and all that kind of stuff. Um, a few pictures of the farmhouse ministry and then I'll open up for some questions. Um, Jordan is always very involved in the kitchen and the cooking. Um, which is no, no small feat for 60, 70, 80 people that we'll have at the intensive institutes. Um, here's activities out on the deck. Uh, there's Pastor Mark in the missionary teen retreat last year. We just finished this year's missionary teen retreat last week. And there's my dad teaching as well. There's Jordan and my brother David and um, with a big paella, a Spanish rice delicacy, which is very good. Um, a few more pictures of the, um, I believe this is a missionary teen retreat, a hike up above the farmhouse. Um, this was an activity with our church men recently, playing foosball. And then just a few miscellaneous pictures. There's Gabe on our massive Mastiff dog. Um, the kiddos uh, love being outside in our town with their friends, running on their bikes and um, various things. There's a, there's a typical Basque man uh, needs your prayers. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's Pastor. Uh, we had we thoroughly enjoyed having Pastor Mark here last uh, last year, and just a few pictures as I finish up. Some snow at the farmhouse. A friend of ours uh, from here in the states visited us, and they had, were dying to go horseback riding. So we went up to a, a place nearby that had they offered horseback riding uh, rides. These are kids at the park. The Tour de France went through our part of the Basque region of Spain this last summer, and we actually had a mission team there. So from my house, they went right in front of my house. So we had the whole mission team there in front, and we saw the Tour de France go through. There's the, the winners at the time. Um, my granddad, Flay Allen, is the director of the small mission board that I'm a part of, and we actually drove down to Portugal a few weeks ago, visited some missionary families there, um, and also some missionaries in uh, other parts of Spain. And there's my granddad with his great-grandchildren. He's 89 now, and he's doing very well traveling. Um, he's the director of Faith Christian Missions, and um, 
great to see him out and about. There's Gabe helping mom with, uh, with the cooking. There's one of my latest inventions that I have a one-up on David Peach on. He hasn't designed his own uh, PCB board yet, and most of the things he's done ahead of me, like uh, getting a 3D printer and a laser and all this, but there's one thing that I uh, got ahead of him on. And then uh, last picture, and I'll leave it at this, is my VR-controlled lawnmower. Since I'm a kind of lazy person, don't like to go up there and cut the grass myself, I made a little robot that I can direct with a remote and go cut the grass on the hill. It's a prototype. It works decently. It'd be a lot faster to do it by hand, but anyway, it's a work in progress. But I'll leave it at that for the, uh, for the pictures for now. If you have any questions about the Spain or the ministry there, uh, I'll take a few questions, and then we'll go to God's Word for um, a little bit of a message um, from this morning. So any questions about Spain, the ministry there? Thank you so much for having us. It's such a, such a blessing and privilege to be here. Any questions? And not all at once. Yes. The, for the foreseeable future, it would definitely be with our, with our church there. It would be great to think of eventually a Basque, you know, a Basque Sunday school class where we actually teach in Basque. But at this point, all of the Basque believers that we have, the few believers, uh, they're almost more familiar with the Bible in Spanish because that's what they've always heard it, teaching and stuff. So at this point, there hasn't been any need or interest in a Basque language class, although I would love the idea of of having that in our even even offered in our church type thing, but yes, it would be very very closely involved in my in our church. Yes. That's a good question. The Catholic Church is very predominant as far as you see the buildings. You probably see, saw the huge Catholic Church in our small little town of fifteen hundred people. The Catholic Church is absolutely massive. Has a incalculably valuable altarpiece overlaid in gold that was built back in the 1600s. I mean, it's absolutely incredible, the, you know, the architecture and all that. But I would say the day-to-day Basque person, 90% have absolutely no interest in any religion at all. They're completely atheistic. <clears throat> While some may claim to be Catholic just to, you know, get you off their back to let you know they're religious, <clears throat> they have no personal interest or belief in, in God. And if anything, they, they go to a first communion or a wedding at the, at the Catholic church, but that's the extent of their, of their um, you know, religious views. So I would say every bit of 90% of the people we are with there in the Basque country have absolutely zero interest in God or belief in God. They're just atheistic and materialistic. Yes, sir. There is. There are some... There are some um, best I can tell in my level of Basque, which I'm fluent on a day-to-day uh, basis, um, although some of the grammar and such is, uh, I, I still have work to do, but yes, there is good, there are good translations in Basque, by God's grace. Anything else? Could I get a bottle of water if there is, or a glass of some sort? Thank you. Any other questions? Gabe, any questions? <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. Our water, the tap water we have is actually very good and drinkable. At, at the farmhouse itself, it is just a spring water. So I, we actually bring water up from our tap water sometimes or just bottled water. But um, we have a Brita filter in our house that we filter our tap water because Jordan says it tastes better. I normally half and half drink out of the tap or, or, or out of the Brita filter. But I would say it's probably similar to city water here where you can drink it. If, I think you can drink it here. I don't know. 
so yes, more or less. Any other questions? And then we'll go to uh, God's word for the message. Yes. There, there is a huge amount of Muslim influence, and especially in other parts of Spain, the closer you get towards the, towards, um, you know, the south of Spain and then the, in the northern African countries, there are sections that are almost completely Muslim, ironically. Um, they never really reached as much in the Basque region. Um, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot, of, you know, a lot that I don't even fully know and, and all of that, but we do have a, lot, a number of, um, of Moroccan and um, different, different Muslim people in our area. Some of our close contacts and even people we've witnessed to are, are from some of those uh, Muslim countries. So yes, there is a, a decent amount of that where we are, but not nearly as much as in many other parts of Spain. Yes, good questions. Last question, if there is any. Um, the Basque is a very old culture group. Way before Spain was organized as a nation, the Basque had their own culture and had their own, even their rules and laws and such. And so they very much would like to be independent. They feel like their own culture, which in a sense they are. Um, there has been a very long-standing hatred between Spain and the Basque country. Um, for example, during World War II, right at the beginning of World War II, uh, Hitler, who was good friends with Spanish, Spain's dictator, Franco, um, allowed Franco, or no, Franco allowed Hitler to bomb one of the Basque towns during market day to test his bombs. And one of the Basque towns, uh, fairly close to where we are, Guernica it's called, was completely flattened um, by, the German, uh, by the German Air Force, just testing some of the bombs that they were using in other parts of the war. And that has been one of, you know, that's one of the Basque's rallying cries for, uh, you know, one of the reasons for their strong hatred towards France. There's been a Basque terrorist group that's a lot of, there's been a lot of political um, movements as well in that. But yes, there's been a long-standing, uh, um, you know, conflict and, and, um, and um, antagonism between Spain and Basque. Um, if you want, there's a lot of, you know, information online about the history of some of that, where we are. And it's always been very safe there in the Basque country as far as we're, um, you know, as far as where we are and all that. The, the, um, the terrorist group was officially disbanded a number of years ago and such, but there is still a lot of animosity and a lot of ill feeling towards Spain and vice versa type thing. So yes, there is definitely political conflict of, of, uh, of sorts. So, okay, well let's, let's leave it at that and let's go, to, uh, let's go to God's word for the remainder of the morning. I think pastor said I have till 1230 or something like that. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, let's go to God's word for a brief message. Um, and when I was talking to Pastor Campbell a few weeks ago, he mentioned, oh yeah, some, he mentioned something about Christmas, and I had just kind of realized we are a, a week away from Christmas almost, a week and a, a, week and a day or something like that. Um, and so I'd like us to think, before we go to actually God's word, just think briefly about the phrase Merry Christmas, and I'll take advantage to say Merry Christmas. Um, why do, first of all, what, is, what does that phrase mean, and how are we able to say that, and what, what meaning does that have in, our, in, in the world around us? Um, Mary, I think we would all translate the same as happy, so have a happy Christmas. Um, great, you know, great phrase to tell people and all that, but I, uh, I checked this morning, I just opened up the, the front page of a news site, and 
the first thing you see is a war in Israel and Gaza. You, t you still see remnants of the war in Ukraine and Russia. Um, everything you see on the news and everything you hear around us, there is just so much violence, conflict, sin. Our world is our world is messed up, and I think it's pretty much I think pretty much across the board we can look out and and recognize that. And I'm sure even here in our church, there are I'm sure many of you. Um, have had an incredibly hard year in some ways. I'm sure there are people here who are suffering uh, incredible loss or physical difficulties or you name it. And what is, the, what is the point of going out and just saying Merry Christmas and you know, pretending like everything's great when we know that there's so much wrong going on, there's so much sin? Is this just a phrase that we can use for a few weeks and, and you know, feel good for a little while and then artificially make things good and then you know, go back to our routine. Is there anything special about this? Um, I, think, I think we all recognize that there is, but what right do we have to say that we should be merry over Christmas and that we should be happy about this? And I'd like us to just look briefly at this thought, and maybe it'll help us as we go out and as we, as we share even just that phrase, to help us to think a little bit deeper and realize there could be people that we say that to who are not really having a very merry Christmas and who are not enjoying life and who really have some incredible hardships and maybe this will allow us to to help reach them with what is really the the real meaning of Christmas what's really the the whole meaning of the Bible and I would say that Christmas is very much a part of the the main message of the Bible so rather than see the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke and actually um, uh, a phrase that we can use for Merry Christmas is Matthew 2:10, where they said when they saw the star and when they were, as they were going and looking for the baby Jesus, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And that, that sure sounds like they were merry. Um, and then in Luke uh, 10 and 11, the angel says to the shepherds, fear not for I bring you good tidings of great joy. That sounds accurately like Merry Christmas. But let's go back and we're going to go back in time all the way back to the book of Genesis and look at a little bit of where I believe the, the story of Christmas really starts at the very beginning of the Bible. And... Um, Let's go and let's go see a passage. And first of all, I'd like us to see a passage in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> and I think some of the some of the foundational truths of the gospel, and we think of the gospel in the in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of the foundational truths we find in the very beginning of the Old Testament. And it is it is impossible to understand the New Testament without going and seeing the Old Testament. Even just from the very beginning of creation, um, God created man. Man sinned in chapter 3 of Genesis. What is the very next thing that God says? God tells the serpent when he's, when he's talking, he says, the, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. And that, that is, a, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, the very first mention of the gospel, but literally the moment after man sinned and uh, the world was thrown into um, enemy position against God. The very moment God begins to reconcile and begins to start the process of, of bringing the story of the gospel, which is the, the story of salvation. But let's jump forward to Genesis 12. And I'm going to read just a few verses here. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, we get to the story of Abraham, a patriarch, um, Abraham, and the Lord said to him, verse 1, Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, 
and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse him that curses thee. And in thee, all of the family or all families of the earth shall be blessed. This is such an incredible passage. And the statements that, that Jesus says there is just, it's just mind-blowing. But God is saying that through Abraham and his descendants and his seed, which we recognize as the, the, the country of Israel, through Israel, God is going to bless, says, every or all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's even bringing that to nowadays. As we said, the message of Christmas, the message of the gospel has a blessing. It has a reason for thanksgiving and has a reason for being merry for every family in the world. Every family in the world and every individual in the world can be blessed through this story that we're going to see and through the message of the gospel that we, fee, that we find in the, in the word of God. Um, it's very interesting, the study of, of the land of Israel, and God is promising to give them this land. And in verse 7 of that same passage, he says, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And God is promising Israel that land. And um, it's interesting, and we don't have time to go into all this right now, but what a few things he does not say, he does not say that the thy seed shall be better than the other seeds, or your family is going to be better or um, is going to act better than everyone else. No. And actually, if you look at, if you read through Israel's history, God was continually punishing them for their sin. He was continually coming back and, and helping them. And then the, if you read through the judges and read through the times of the kings, it's incredible to see how wicked Israel was in so many times, so many ways, until finally God sent them off into captivity. But God did not say, no, no, your seed is going to be way better than everyone else. Your seed is going to be much more obedient. No, he just said, I'm going to choose through your family to bless every family on earth, and every people group on earth will be best through Israel. Um, and jumping to the next chapter, Genesis 13, he says in verse 15, to thee, or I will give it to, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. This wasn't just a a temporary promise, and he was going to give it to him for a few years. No, God gave them an eternal promise of that land. Um, but the passage that I was wanting to, to, to skip forward to, as we're thinking about the beginnings of, of Christmas and what it represents, and thinking of the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, this passage that I'd like us to go to is Genesis chapter 22. And we may think, oh, this was, and actually this was many years before, this was about 1,800 years earlier and we may think, oh, well, this, what does this have to do with that? Um, ironically, this passage in Genesis 22 is extremely close to Bethlehem. Um, and if you think about where Bethlehem is in relation to this story, it's about, um, I was looking online, I think Morristown is about 10 miles from here, more or less, or 11 miles. Well, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is about six miles from where this story happens, in the general area of where this story happens. So it's, it's the exact same area, 1,800 years earlier, God gives us this story, and God, God uh, tells us this about Abraham. Genesis 22, <clears throat> verses 1 to 2, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. 
Okay, let's stop right there. Wait, what did we just read? And this is, this should be absolutely shocking. This is absolutely incredible, this, this request that God made. I think most of us here have heard this story before. We know what, uh, you know, we know how it ends. We know that God was testing him. But still, what a terrible, what a horrible thing is this thought of a burnt offering. And in reality, all through the Old Testament, we have these burnt offerings of animals that are innocent, that are killed and offered as a burnt offering to God. What is, what is going on with, you know, what is all of this about? And I think that many times we miss one of the most important truths. And nowadays, you know, this seems so foreign, this seems so bloody and dirty, and we wouldn't want to have anything to do with something like that. But we miss out on this teaching that is very clear in Scripture on the terribleness and the horribleness of sin. Sin is so evil. Sin is so wicked. And what does uh, Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death. Sin is so far apart from our holy God that, he, that sin, and sin always produces death. That is, that is part of sin. Sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin always results in death. And so many times we can get to where, you know, sin can be, you know, funny. We're making, you know, TV shows nowadays and movies make fun of infidelity or make fun of drunkenness or make fun of different things. And, and we can start to see it as, oh, yeah, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, it's, it's not really a big deal. Sin is terrible. And sin always results in death. And in the Old Testament, the God instructed his people to have burnt offerings of innocent animals an absolutely bloody spectacle in order to cover the sin and to temporarily temporarily appease the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God over sin. And, and in, this, in, this, in this situation, when God tells Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, that was entirely just. And that's, I think, something that we forget. Isaac deserved to be killed and deserved to die for his sin, just as Abraham deserved to die for sin. Every single person who is a sinner, which is everyone, deserves death for sin. Um, and as we read this story, which is just a tremendous, a, tremendous, uh, a tremendous message of the gospel in all reality, it says, So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted, lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the word, word, wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And that phrase right there is just such an incredible forewarning or for, um, I can't think of the word, but just bringing us forward to, the, to when Jesus Christ was that lamb and when Jesus Christ did offer that lamb um, as the sacrifice for our sins. And we know the story. God, uh, in verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, there was a ram uh, caught in the thicket by the horn. So Abraham went, took the ram, 
offered it for a burnt sacrifice uh, for his son. And, um, and that's, that's where that, that story there ends. But that same area close to where Jesus was born, Jesus gave us this message that God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. Um, in Hebrews, we read that um, um, going back to this concept of sin in the the necessity, I mean, how sin produces death. It says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sin produces death. Um, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And we, we learn later in the New Testament that those, those sacrifices, those burnt offerings, were not atoning for sin. They were not actually paying for the sin. Only a pure sacrifice and only Jesus Christ sacrificing himself on the cross was what could actually pay for our sins. These were simply a temporary covering over of the sin, um, uh, looking forward to when the perfect Lamb of God would, would atone for the sin. Um, Ironically, that same Mount Moriah, 800 years later, uh, there's another story that happens right there. Do y'all remember when King David um, sins against God, and among many other things, he calls for this uh, census that was in direct disobedience of God. And what does God do as a result? He's punishing the, the children of Israel justly again for their sin, but God tells, uh, God tells uh, King David, sorry, to offer a burnt offering. And David goes to that same uh, mount, and we, as we find in 2 Chronicles 3.1. But David goes in 1 Chronicles 21, um, verse 26. David there built an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. And then verse 27. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to his sheath. What a powerful illustration of the righteous wrath of God judging sin, but then withholding and, and stopping because of the sacrifice. And again, in this case, the sacrifice was just a temporary measure that was appeasing the wrath of God until the, the righteous sacrifice would actually be made in the future. Um, in 2 Chronicles 3.1, it, it's where we find out, and it says, And Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Uh, where David had appeared unto, or where the Lord had appeared unto David his father. So it's just, it's fascinating to me that that exact same mountain is where Abraham had offered Isaac and was going to offer him, and God said, no, no, I will provide a lamb. Then that's where David offered that, that sacrifice and withheld, the angel withdrew his sword. That's where Solomon built the temple, and in that temple, thousands upon thousands of burnt offerings were offered, which did not actually take away sin, they simply temporarily covered the sin. And that is what leads us up to the Christmas story to where Jesus Christ is born. And one of the, uh, one of the most precious passages we see in, in John as Jesus is born and gum, comes up to John the Baptist, uh, John 1.29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the meaning of Christmas. This is entirely the reason why Jesus came. It wasn't to, to, to teach good, good lessons, and so many people view Jesus as a great moral teacher, and so many even, even other religions respect him as a teacher. He didn't come to, 
to simply teach lessons and to give the Sermon on the Mount, even though he taught some wonderful, wonderful uh, truths, he came to die. Um, I'm not sure if it's in the hymnal that y'all use, but one of my favorite hymns uh, over Christmas time is the hymn Born to Die. Um, and it talks about how Jesus, the entire purpose of him being born was to die on the cross and to pay for our sins. And we can, we can celebrate Christmas, but we cannot, we cannot understand anything about the meaning of Christmas if we do not recognize that Jesus was born in order to die. The Spanish translation of that hymn is gozo en luto, which means joy out of mourning or joy from mourning. And it's just the way that the words work to translate it. But, but mourning is what we do naturally out of when, when death, when there's something evil. And the biggest evil that has ever happened, the biggest injustice that has ever happened was in the perfect Lamb of God was crucified on the cross. But out of that evil and out of that mourning, we can have the, the greatest joy of knowing that our sins have been paid for, that we do not have to be offered as a, as a burnt sacrifice, as, as Isaac was, was offered up. No, God says, no, 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 I will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And the only person who never sinned, the only person who does not deserve the wages of sin, took sin upon himself and, and took that for us. Um, one of the of course, one of the, the favorite verses of Scripture, most well-known, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life. And that is, that is the reason why we can say Merry Christmas. That is the reason why no matter what the circumstances, no matter the wars going on, no matter the, the difficulties we are facing, we can rest and know that God died on the cross for our sins, and we have a heavenly Father. And if you are God's child, um, I, was, I was just reading recently, or just seeing recently, how uh, we are confident that the tribulations that we face are nothing to be compared with the joy that is awaiting those of us who are God's son. The worst thing that we face here on earth is just, just the smallest shadow that will, the, the mist that will disappear when we become, um, when we join Christ in his presence. Um, after death. So uh, one final or two final um, verses and we'll finish. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's one of my favorite illustrations and favorite um, passages on the gospel. What do, you, what do we believe? And when someone asks us that in Spain, you know, what does your church teach? What is, you know, what is, what's the difference between you and, and anyone else? Well, brethren, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And no matter where you are in life, no matter what you have done, the answer to your problems, the answer to your pain is found in the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again, and that is what is celebrated. Every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, one, final, one final passage in Revelations chapter 5, um, in verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And then jumping to verse 12, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, 
um, sorry, I had that, that passage. Let me read it from the, uh, from the scriptures. Revelations 5. Um, verse 11, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Then verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, uh, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne, unto the Lamb forever and ever. And while Jesus came as the innocent Lamb of God and died on the cross, he did not stay dead. And every single individual, one day or another, will stand before the Lamb of God and will worship him. Um, and he um, just asks that we accept his gift of salvation, that we accept his sacrifice. And Jesus did it all. We have, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to present for our sins. We have no excuse for our sins. All we have to do is call on the name of the Lord, repent of our sins, and turn to him, and he will save us, and, um, and he will redeem us. So if there's anyone here who has not, that, who has not done that, um, this can be the merriest Christmas. This can be the blessed, the best time when you accept Christ as your Savior and you become a, ch a child of God, I can guarantee you there's nothing else in the world that is like being a child of God. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for that. Thank you for praying for Spain and for the many people there who need to accept Christ. And we'll pray and Pastor Campbell can, can finish as he would like. Dear Father, thank you so much for the gospel. There's no way that we can thank you for your gift of salvation. Um, the only person who did not deserve to die for their sin was Jesus Christ, and yet he took sin upon himself and paid what we deserved to pay and died on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much. Um, we love you, and we um, just thank you so much for sending your son to be born and die for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.